Thanks for being here today. Uh, I mean it because there's a lot. There's one big reason to be outside and not inside of this dark room, looking at me. So uh, I'll, I'll give you that. So hey, we're going to be in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 15 and then 16. Uh, my plan is to preach on uh, the the rest of what I was supposed to preach last week, and then try to give you another part of a sermon as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to tie it together here. So I'm going to read it. We're going we're gonna to try to cruise here. I'm glad you're here. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Outward Church, uh, uh, one of the elders. And so we're, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Thanks for being a part of it. Chapter 15, let me just briefly just say this. Let me read the first verse of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is uh, Eliezer of Damascus. And so Abram just, God says, hey, I'm your shield. I'm your reward. I know you just gave it up with this guy, uh, this king of Sodom who offered you all of this stuff. And Abram says, no thanks, I'll take my riches from God. And so God comes to him and says, hey, I just want to tell you, that's a great thing uh, that you did there. I think that's awesome. And, uh, and guess what? I see that I am your shield, I am your, your reward. He affirms that to him. However that went down, I don't know exactly, but that's what he says. And so, but Abram says, hey, I still don't have a kid. When God had pr- promised him a people and a place, but he can't have kids and uh, he, he's living in a tent in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and so he's like, hey, God, I mean, I still don't have a kid. And so God says, hey, look outside, look at the stars. And you, you see that? That's what your descendants are going to look like. It's going to be that many and more, that kind of a deal. And so it says, and he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So then verse 7 is, it was the next verse in last week's sermon that I never got to. And it says this, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of Ur, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I going to know that this is what you're going to do? How am I going to know that this is, what, that, that this is what's going to happen? That's the question that's on his mind is how am I going to know that I'm going to possess this? I hear you saying it, but how am I going to know? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old. Uh, come again, God? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you just say bring you a heifer? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, excuse me. Okay. No, he says bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat. Can you turn my mic up just a little bit? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, it just, I feel, yeah, just a little bit. Okay. I'll try not to yell that much. Okay. He said, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought, uh, and he brought him all these. Cut them, uh, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, uh, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, 
and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here, where you're at right now, Abram, in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Kind of a cryptic saying there. All of it really is. <clears throat> when the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord uh, made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the uh, river of Egypt to the great river, the, uh, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the land of the Kenizzites, uh, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, uh, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, of course, all right? All right, chapter 16. Here, we're going to keep going here. Chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife. Now remember, I want you to remember one thing real quick. In the original text, these are not like disconnected passages. These are all together. It's like there is no chapter 16 there. It's just like it ends with, hey, I'm giving you this land, and it's going to be the land of all of these people groups. And then it says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, be, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband as a wife and he went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived she looked with contempt on her mistress and Sarai said to Abram may the wrong done to me be on you I gave my servant to your embrace uh, when she saw that she had conceived she looked on cont uh, on me with contempt may the Lord judge between you and me but Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And we're going to stop right there. Now, <clears throat> I don't know how many people have actually taught these two passages together. Normally when you're doing expositional teaching, you just want to do a passage at a time, that kind of a thing. And we may find out by the end of the sermon that that is what I should have done. But <laughs> but. You will be the judge of that, okay? <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, but here, here is what is so striking to me, is that we have this incredible experience with God, and then all of a sudden we have this incredible like lapse in judgment. It's an incredible experience of, of hearing God and, and, and seeing God and all of that, and then followed by an immense lapse in judgment. And... As a result, we see all kinds of things take place in their life. In fact, I want to skip down there and I want to look at uh, chapter 16 first uh, in detail. It says, Sarai starts thinking to, your, to herself, you know, the Lord has prevented me from being able to have kids. So she starts thinking about her life. She starts thinking about the fact that you know, I still don't have kids. This is a major embarrassment for them. There's a bit of shame that's involved here. Because Sarai doesn't have kids. She can't, she can't bear children. 
Abram, his name means father of many. His name means father of many. One commentator was saying, I wonder how many times people came up to him and said, Abram, father of many, uh, how many kids do you have? And he's like, no, none. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And he just, he feels like, hey, I should have kids by now. But he doesn't have kids. And so Sarai suggests to him this, and it says, and he listens to the voice of Sarai. And then what takes place? Uh, she, the, he goes into this, this woman, Hagar. Hagar, who is uh, Sarai's servant. Now, there's some, there, there's some variation in, in what exactly is going on here. It seems like this is a common practice in that day. That if, if your wife is barren, then you would take a servant or someone like that. In fact, it happens later on in Genesis as well. And even some of those children end up being the heads of uh, various tribes within Israel. So clearly God isn't totally against this in some respect. However, this was not within God's plan. So I want to be clear about that. This was not in God's plan because God had said, your very own son shall be your heir. He's going to be your son, meaning between you and your wife, Sarai. That's what was going to happen. But instead of waiting for that, what they end up doing is they end up taking matters into their own hands. They're dealing with some type of shame, some type of, some type of difficulty in their life, and they're just saying, okay, fine. Well, all right, this is, I, I guess this is what God wants us to do because I don't see any other options. And so based on my shame, based on the, the issue that I'm having in my life right now, since God isn't really acting, I guess God helps those who help themselves, and so I'll help myself in this way, right? That's not a scripture, by the way, God helps those who help themselves. That's, that's, that's not normally a good thing. That is an American-ism, um, by the way. And so, and so even the New Testament looks at this, this son that's born uh, in this way through a Hagar, looks at this son as though he is born in the flesh. In fact, look at Galatians 4, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. You don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen here. Galatians 4, 22 and 23. It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, meaning that was in the effort and in the power of Abraham and Sarai, and, and while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And so the New Testament even looks at these uh, two kids. I mean, they're going to have a kid through, through both of them, through miraculous intervention of God. But in this way, what they're trying to do is they are trying to do something in the flesh that God has called them to do, but yet they're, they're, they're taking it on themselves and say, okay, we're going to make this happen. And it's motivated by, I believe, a sense of shame. It's motivated by a sense of shame. It's driving them to do things, to take, things, take matters into their own hands. And what we don't realize is we don't realize the immense amount of shame that we feel and what that shame drives us to do. The shame of the sin that we have drives us to try to be more religious. It drives us to try to, 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 to do more for God so that God will love us. The, the, the shame or the, the sin that's been done to us that causes immense amounts uh, of, of, of shame because of what someone has done to us. You think about sexual assault, sexual abuse, the amount of shame that people feel. Think about the shame that our culture feels from the various things that culture says are, are fine, are good. 
Our culture has a different answer to it, though. Our culture says, if you feel shame, turn around and, and turn it into pride. If you sh- feel shame for, uh, for this lifestyle, then you should turn it into pride. Be prideful about it. Our world says, if you're shameful, go the opposite direction and be prideful. Our world has identified something, and that is that shame is not good. But they have the wrong medicine for that, which is just add pride and you'll be fine. The world says that our, that our pride is the answer to our shame. Abram's answer to his shame, Abram and Sarai's answer to their shame was take matters into my own hands. For you and I, the answer to our shame should be, I'm no longer going to feel shame about something that I've been told all of my life that I should feel shameful about, and now I'm just going to be prideful about it. Now I'm going to push it in everyone's face, and I'm saying, I don't care what you say. That's, you know, that's just a social construct that was brought on to me by my religion, or by my upbringing. I'm just there. I'm, I'm, the only reason I'm here is because I was born in, into America, into a Christian home, and so that's why that would even be wrong. And so I'm just going to reject that overall, outright. The cure for my shame is my pride, when the truth is that that is not the way that it goes. Look at the results of what happens. There is this positioning. There's this contempt that's happening. It says, Hagar looked on Sarai with contempt. Hagar now feels like, oh yeah, uh, who's, who's the servant now? You know, who, who, who's having the kids now? I am. So now there's this, there's this separation that's happening in this family. And then Sarai gets really upset. She gets really upset by what's going on. And, and so Sarai comes to Abram and says, She looked on me with contempt. And she says, May the Lord <coughs> judge between me and you. I mean, and what, what is she doing? She's saying, Hey, <clears throat> look at what happened in this situation. That, by the way, she told Abram to do. She told Abram to do this. And now she blames Abram says, now, Abram, it's, you're at fault. And the truth is, Abram really is at fault. Abram should have said, hey, wait a minute, honey. This is not what God had planned for us. This is not what we should be doing. But he doesn't say anything. In fact, what does he say? <clears throat> Chapter 16, verse 6. you got to give me a second. Okay. Uh, So verse 6 of chapter 16 says, But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And so Sarai deals harshly with her, and she fled from her. Look at what's happening here. When we take matters into our own hands, and we say, This is the way that I shall have it. Somehow, things start to fall apart. They fall apart in our families. They fall apart in our relationships. They fall apart with, uh, in our businesses. They fall apart in, in, in our schooling. They fall, when I say, I'm going to take this and I'm going I'm to make this happen. Because God would want me to be happy, right? i got to have kids, so God would want me to be happy. And that would make me happy. And so I'm, I'm going to do this. That's a major problem. And the reason why we do that is because of our shame. It's driving us. It's driving us. I want to go back 
to 17. I'm not 17, my bad, 15. How do we avoid shame? How, how, do we, how do we avoid this shame from driving us to pride? How do we avoid this in, in this area? How do we avoid saying, I've got to make this happen on my own. I've got to do this, otherwise I won't be accepted. See, shame can be uh, at the root of, I feel shameful because of my sin, and I don't think that God is going to accept me. You kind of hear this a little bit in Abram's words in chapter 15, verse 7, when he says, But, O oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I going to know that you're really going to bless me? How am I going to know that, God, you're really going to follow through with this? Because he had just believed God in just the previous verse. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He has faith in God, but still there's this sense in which if I really know me, if I really know, know what's going to happen in my life, which we see played out, if I really see who I really am and the fact that I am constantly in this place where I'm driven by my shame, I'm constantly in this place where I don't know that I can follow through with everything that God wants me to do, how am I going to know that I shall possess it? How am I going to have relationship with God? How am I going to know that I'm going to spend eternity with God through Jesus Christ? How am I going to know that I'm going to possess that? When I look at my life, when I see the things that are going on there, when I understand what I am capable of, when I understand what I've been involved in, when I understand all of these things, when I look at that, I just have to ask the question, how am I going to know that I'm going to possess this. Well, there's a, a couple of things. Three things, actually. The call of God, the patience of God, and the promise of God. How do I avoid acting out in shame? The call of God, the patience of God, and the promise of God. Look at what it says in verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. What's he saying there? He's saying, Abram, I want you to remember something. And that is that you were a pagan. You were an idol worshiper. You were not seeking after me, but I saw after you. I came in the midst of, of no religious conviction. I came in the midst of what, whatever was going on in your life, and I called you out of Ur. I took you out of there, and I brought you to myself. That's what he's saying. I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans. This is who I am. And what God is saying to you is this. You did not begin your relationship with God. It was not started by you. You did not make it happen in the first place. How am I to know that I shall possess it? How do I know that I have salvation, God? 
When I see all the times that I'm going to screw up, when I see the, the way that my life has been, how am I going to know that I'm going to be able to hang on to this? God, God is saying to us, hey, you didn't get it to begin with. I gave it to you. I called you. We see that over and over again throughout the New Testament. We see how God is the one who calls. God is the one who elects. And people hate this theological concept. But the truth is this, is that if God is the one who began it with us, he's the one who finishes it. If God is the one who started it with us, if God is the one who initiated our salvation, and it wasn't because we were just good looking and we looked like this cool middle class person that would probably show up to a building uh, on Sunday morning and go, go to church and that, would be, and that would be just fine. God did not choose you based on that. God chooses those whom he pleases to choose and God calls those whom he calls, who he decides to call. It is not based in us. The second thing that we see is this. Let me walk through this passage here. Verse 9. He says, bring me a heifer. For those of us that are reading this, we'd say, why is he saying bring him a heifer? This is a really weird passage. Like, is that really necessary right now? But what, what's actually going on is Abram is not confused at all. When God says, bring me the heifer, bring me a, a female goat, bring me a ram, bring me a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Abram's not confused at all. Abram knows this. This is not some kind of weird thing that he's doing. This is covenant making. This is promise making. Abram says, how am I going to know that I'm going to possess this? And God says, set up a covenant ritual. You see it in Jeremiah uh, chapter 34, verses 18 through 20. I don't want to read it because we don't have time. But in that passage, what it talks about is it says this. Some people said, okay, we promise to get rid of our slaves and honor God with this, and uh, we're going to free our slaves. These are God's people. We're going to free these people. And so they walk through a covenant ceremony with the animals that have been cut in half. They walk through, and basically what they're saying is they're saying this, may I become like this animal if I do not follow through with my promise. And so what happens is this. We see that Abram isn't confused. He brings them all these. They cut them in half. They lay each other over against the other. So he's making this aisle. Imagine if there were dead animals right here, like, like just right there. And like, I, like this is the covenant ceremony. I'm going to walk through there. I mean, I'm going to speak uh, the words or, or stip the, the stipulations of this promise as I walk through this. And basically what I'm saying is, may I become like these animals if I do not follow through with my end of the bargain. And so that's what's happening here. So he cuts them in half uh, uh, against one another. Verse 12 says this, as, And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So he's, he's getting sleepy. And, and so what's happening? God begins to speak in a new way, and he says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. God begins to say to Abram, he says, this is what I want you to know. I want you to know 
that your people are going to be afflicted. You're going to be slaves in a country that is not their own. That's going to happen uh, for 400 years. And what is God saying? God is saying, your people, Israel, are going to be captive in Egypt, which is what happens. And they're going to be there for a while. But then after that... Uh, uh, it says this in verse uh, 14, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God speaks to him in such a way and he says, this is what's going to happen. God says, I know what the future looks like. I know that you want a land. I know that you want these things to happen. But I need you to know that, Abram, you're not going to see it in this life. But I'm telling you, I'm prophesying to you, I'm telling you the truth that this is what's going to take place. This is what's going to happen. Now, when you think about that and you think about everything that God just spoke to him, you think, man, man God is the one who calls but then the other thing is this, is that, that God is the one who is patient. The patience of God. You see, God's patience, not just with uh, his people, not just with Abram, but with God's people. You see, God's people, Israel, like they, they repeatedly, over and over and over again, sin against God. They, they, com they completely disregard what God has to say. But God says, in the end, I'm still going to save them. I'm still going to take them to their land, to their promised land. God is so incredibly patient. Look at this as well. In the, the last line there, it says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Why is he saying that? See, the Amorites is a general name for the Canaanites and all of these people. It says in Leviticus chapter 18, it says, hey, don't be like the Canaanites. Don't be like these Amorite people. And what was their big issue? Well, there's rule after rule after rule after rule after God says that when he says, don't be like the Canaanites, that says this. Don't commit incest in this way. Don't commit incest in this way. Don't be sexually perverse in this way. It was one thing after another. And if we were to read it, it would kind of gross us out here. But what's the point? God is saying, I'm still being patient with these horrific people. I am still allowing this for right now in the hopes that they turn, but I'm, I'm still being patient with these horrific people. I'm over and over again, I'm being patient with them. See, God is not just patient with Israel. He's patient with the enemies of Israel. He's patient with the people who are his enemies. And God is patient with you. In the midst of your shame, in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of the things that you keep trying, you keep trying to make it happen, and I keep trying to make it happen. We keep trying to do religious things to make ourselves look better to God. We keep trying to uh, achieve this, uh, this blessing in life in a way that God does not intend Either through sex or through marriage or through uh, business or through something like that. We keep going after these things. We keep going after the blessing now rather than waiting for God. And God is not just sitting there waiting to strike you down. God is not sitting there beating you down. 
He is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He is this God who says, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting. And he's patiently waiting. So see, he calls us to himself. So we didn't get ourselves in. We can't get ourselves out. But he's also patient with us. And he's not ready to toss us out by any means. In fact, he says in John chapter 6, he says, and I shall lose none of all that the Father has given me. If, God, if the Father has given you to the Son, meaning if you have relationship with Jesus Christ, there is nothing, there is no one who can pluck you out of the hand of God. Even your own shame that drives you to things over and over again that are outside of God's plan for your life. So the call of God, the patience of God, then look at verse 13. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and then it lists all of those names. What did God just do? First of all, why is there a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch in this passage? Why does this have to be so weird? I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I was like, this is, this is craziness. The smoking fire pot and the flaming torch, I think there's a couple of different ways that we can look at this. We know from the New Testament that the New Testament looks at this as though it is God. And I do believe it is God who walks through the covenant ceremony. The smoking fire pot is like the pillar of cloud that leads the Israelites by day when they leave Egypt. The flaming torch is like the pillar of fire that is the presence of God that leads them at night. So here is God in the midst of this covenant ceremony. Now, today, what we oftentimes believe is this, is that I have to walk through this covenant ceremony. And I need to basically pronounce my undivided devotion... And I need to say, may I become like these animals if I commit any of these sins or if I do any of these things, if I do any of that stuff. If, if, may I become like these animals if I do not fulfill my obligations. But that is not what happens here. That is not what takes place. What actually takes place is this. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And what did God do? God put Abram to sleep. God incapacitated Abram. Abram couldn't move. Abram couldn't affect the covenant. Abram couldn't walk through there and say, yes, God, I promise. I will do all that you have asked me to do. Abram couldn't do that because God didn't allow him to. What did God do? God said, may I, God become like these animals if you do not fulfill your covenant obligations. Do you get that? That God, who is the creator God, he is 
uh, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-whatever. <coughs> he is all of those things. And instead of him saying, hey, you little subservient son of a gun, Abram, you need to walk through this thing, and you better promise me that you're going to keep your crap together, because if you don't, you're in trouble. If you don't, No, God says, I got this. Do you know what we say in our shame when we try to fix our shame? We say, you know what, all-powerful, all-knowing God, thank you very much, but I know how to fix my shame. I got this. I got this figured out. I can, I can figure out how to deal with my shame. You know what God says when he walks through that to Abram? He says, Abram, actually, I got this. I'll be the one who takes care of this. I'll be the one who deals with this. See, there's the call of God that happens outside of our ability to do so. There's the patience of God that just puts up with us persistently. But then there's the promise of God, which is ultimately his sacrifice. See, God made a promise right there that said, I'm going to die if you don't fulfill your obligations. I'm going to die if you don't get there. And do you know how God fulfilled that? Did you see back here where it said there was this great darkness that fell? It was a dreadful and a great darkness in verse 12. And then verse 17, again, it says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, God did something. God acted. Well, that's not the last time that that was going to happen because in Matthew chapter 27, right at the crucifixion of Jesus, it says, Matthew 27 verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. The sun, the sun goes down. There is, a, there is a darkness. And I believe in part what this is doing is it, it is saying, hey, this is going to be a monumental thing that God is going to do. God is doing something here. God is doing something covenantal. God is doing something that is a promise to you and to me. And what did he do? He didn't just say, may I become like these animals if you don't fulfill your obligations. He says, you didn't fulfill your obligations, and therefore I am becoming like that animal. I will be severed from my people. I will be brutally beaten. I will become like one of these animals, but I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it because of you. See, God's call to you is not a call to come and be a perfect human being. God's call to you is not to say, hey, come and fix yourself. God's call to you is not to say, hey, come and be more religious. God's call to you is not to say, hey, hide your shame with a bunch of Christian crap. God's word to you is, he says, I have called you to be my own. I am patient, just like my brother Tim, my literal, bro literal brother. I said little bro my little brother, my literal brother, and my spiritual brother, Tim Porter, right there. Said at the beginning of this service, hallelujah. Okay, <laughs> sorry. I got carried away there. So, uh, no, just like he was talking about. He's gentle. His yoke is easy. God is patient. 
And his promise to you is that even in the midst of this, because the very next passage after this, after this business about Hagar, is God just reaffirming his covenant. Yeah, we're still doing this. Yeah. Yeah, we're still going. Why did the, did the author of this, Moses, why did he put these stories back to back? To back? It's because he has such amazing experiences with God, and yet he's still walking in his flesh. He's still walking in his flesh. And guess what? God still loves him. God still cares about him. God still loves you. God still cares about you. He wants relationship with you. You didn't get yourself in, so you can't get yourself out. He's patient with you. He knows where you've been. He knows what you're doing. He knows what the rest, what your past looks like. He knows how many people you've slept with. He knows how many people uh, you've, um, you've cheated. He knows how many times you have just kind of not even taken God seriously. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. And guess what? He's patient. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's slow to anger. And his promise is this. You can't fix this. I did on the cross. I became like the animal so that you could become like a son, like a daughter, and not like a real son, a real daughter in Jesus Christ. That is his promise to you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are so gracious. You are so kind. You took our shame. You took what we deserved. Lord, you took, you took everything, all of the, the punishment. Lord, you took the obligations. And so, Lord, we get to walk in a new life, in a free life that is not full of shame and self-doubt, but that is full of faith in you. Lord, may we walk in that on a regular basis. Lord, may that change our lives as a result. It's in your name we pray. Amen.